Um, nice. Well, first things first, gentlemen, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, now, where I want to start is uh, way in the beginning when in our previous interview uh, with you, Alex, you said to us that uh, being dropped from a label early in your musical endeavors was one of the best things that perhaps uh, happened to you. But then you continued on, uh, obviously, with music. What did you tell Bob to convince him to join you on your musical kind of adventure? Well, you, you know, like being dropped by that label early on for me was the best thing because uh, from that point on, I didn't make music uh, to have any success as a career. You know, I was making music purely for the joy of it. Um, and I guess that was the motivation for making music with Bob right at the beginning when we first started playing in my kitchen. Just like, well, this is a good laugh. You know, this is really, this is a really fun, exciting thing to do for the sake of it. Um, and I think Bob found that out pretty quickly as well. And Bob, am I right in saying uh, that you weren't necessarily on the path of a musician, but you kind of had uh, uh, had to be convinced? Yeah, I mean, I'd never played an instrument. I was 21. I'd never played an instrument before, and I was studying painting at art school. Uh, I was a huge fan of music, but I'd never... Um, being in a band, and I, I kind of thought I'd missed the boat, really, because like most people learn instruments when they're in their teens, and I'd never really done it, so I was didn't didn't really seem on the cards, you know. And for for the two of you, as and as the band start to uh, take shape and you start to make music, Alex, as you mentioned, you try not to to put any pressure on it and just have a, a good time. Uh, when when did you kind of feel like? It was different than the other projects you had been in. Um, I, I remember when we first got roughly the lineup together, because uh, I guess Michael was coming in and out, but when it was um, Paul, uh, Nick, Bob, and myself, originally Nick was playing drums and Paul was playing guitar. And like like Paul's terrible guitarist, and Nick's a, an even worse drummer. And then uh, one day they swapped around, and when the band started playing, I was like, kind of like, oh man, there's something really good here. There's something really special. Uh, yeah, I remember that day very well. I'm sure you do as well, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. At that time, what was the? I don't know if ambition is the right word, then, but did you have any creative ambitions, or, or what? What was the mindset, so to say? Yeah, I mean, there, there were two different things, like, like, like. Ambition in terms of career or like what you wanted to do with the band physically was probably like try and press up a single of 500 copies and uh, see if you sell a few copies and maybe try and get on tour, try and do a little tour or something like that. I mean, that's as far as we were thinking in terms of, you know, what, what we would do. But in terms of ideas, there were so many things that we were trying to do, you know, like, like uh, um, uh, combining what we liked about dance music and putting it into the, the raw energy of a, uh, a rock and roll band. Like, like we were um, taking uh, the arrangements that we heard on sequenced monosynthesizers mono and playing them on guitars um, 
uh, juxtaposing once uh, one song of one key into the song of an, another key, completely chopping and cutting it, uh, having no rules, um, uh, delivering vocal on top of other vocal. I mean, I, when I think about it, there are so many different things that were happening at that time, like, and it's just like one idea kept on coming after another after another, and that was the joy of it. The joy of it was in the creation. Mm. And for you, Bob, as as someone somewhat new to this whole uh, thing at that moment, what was your impression? And did you did you take to to being in a band immediately? Was it something that came naturally to you to be on stage really? and do all that stuff? Um, the the sign of the band, which was this kind of social aspect, the kind of meeting up to rehearse and then having a drink and you know all that kind of stuff, it was very natural. That was very easy. I was it was, it was just like it was like socializing but while holding instruments, pretty much. Um, the gigs were fun, but they, I was kind of like flying. It was kind of like trial by fire. You know, I, I couldn't, I was, I was very new to playing the bass. And then we were even playing very small because I get very nervous. But it was, that was kind of the fun. It was like the adrenaline rush of getting away with it was, was kind of pre- a pretty big high. Um, so yeah, I, I just the whole I enjoyed it. I, I think that um, I this it was a social side of it for me that was the 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 um, the bit I was enjoying the most. I mean, because because my musical ability was pretty basic, I I wasn't really thinking that hard about you know songwriting techniques or anything like that. It was more kind of just getting away with playing the bass. <laughs> Well, fair enough. Uh, one thing I really enjoy about uh, the music that you've made over the years, and, and Alex, you've been quoted on this uh, a lot, but initially th- that line of you wanted to make girls dance. And now if, if you go through the album, that's, I, I suppose that's still the case. It's it's always been very danceable music, but there's have been uh, shifts and new influences and everything along the way. So how have you seen this development, especially early on when, when you went from kind of a ragtag bunch of four, four guys together to uh, issuing a first album and perhaps the second? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that comment about the music for girls to dance was, was kind of a joke and kind of serious simultaneously. Like, we did want to make dance music, but also I think the main The other side of that statement was we didn't want to be like a bloke band, you know, like, uh, you know, like there were so many bands in the UK that were really blokey, like playing men's music for men. You know, the, the first show that we played was uh, an all-female art show uh, that friends of ours were, were doing. And I think there was a, a, a deliberate uh, decision to kind of like uh, detach ourselves from that very macho side of rock and roll Um uh and i think we've always kept that as well and in the same way that we've always kept the dance side of it and i mentioned it earlier it was like like the idea was to take you know, that there had been bands before that had crossed over into dance music but always felt that it was like rock and roll bands that borrowed the technology of dance music so like in the 90s there were lots of bands like i don't know like Populate itself or um, the Shaman or something like that, or the Happy Mondays that would take loops or samples and uh, apply them to rock music. We wanted to do the opposite, which was to take the the dynamics of dance music. 
So like the way you would cut down to a kick drum or the way you would build up a song and like the way it kind of comes in and comes out, listening to the, the dance music that we liked and apply that, but play it as a raw band, as a raw rock and roll band. And uh, uh, that, that seemed to work really, really quickly because I know both Paul and I had dabbled with electronic music a fair bit before the band. And I think Nick had been interested in that too. And instead of going down the electro route, because like in the very early 2000s, that had seemed quite exciting. Like in the late 90s and early, like around about 2000, there was that electro clash movement, which kind of seemed, oh yeah, there's something going on there. But very, very quickly, it seemed quite boring. And so like it felt to us like, no, I don't want to play electro music. I want to do something that's raw, but it's got, it's like the, it's not the sound that makes dance music good. It's the technique it's the, it's the arrangement, it's the approach to constructing the music. And so by taking that out of the context of the, of the electronic dance world and, and putting it into our raw world, something exciting happened there. Since you, as a band, had no real expectations, were you surprised by, by the way it took off? Yeah, by every stage. It was kind of funny. Like, I remember feeling quite bemused by the whole thing and just kind of... Oh, that's 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 funny. That's funny. <laughs> but at the same time, like it, it was obvious that we were a really good band, so it, it kind of made sense as well. It, it made sense in a weird way, you know. Like it was kind of like, um, yeah, it, it, everything became so absurd that the absurd became ordinary. <laughs> yeah, there's a line in the bio that I wrote down where about the the second album. Uh, you could have it so much better. The surreal became the normal where, where at, with the first album, I suppose everything that was happening was all, you were happy and surprised, but then with the second one, it, it kind of became the status quo for you guys. So, so that, that, Oh, go ahead. No, you're right. The, the surreal was normal at that point. Like it, it was very normal. Uh, I still enjoyed making the second record. I, in fact, I was very frustrated. Very, very eager to get back into the studio as soon as as soon as we could. Um, uh, but yeah, our lives were in a very different place when we made the second record compared to making the first record. I mean, mainly because when we made the first record, nobody knew who we were. Um, whereas when we made the second record, we were, I guess, like internationally famous musicians, which was a bit of a weird thing to suddenly find yourself being. Um, Sure. Quite funny. <laughs> for, for, for you then, Bob, because I, I'm sure you've before that you never really envisioned this career for you. So, so going through that development, what was that like for you on a personal level? Then becoming kind of a musician uh, by being thrown into the fire. Yeah, quite stressful. Yeah, trial by fire. Uh, a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, each each gig, <laughs> yeah, I would come on stage and it felt like, wow, got away with that one. And it's like, let's party. You know? And the next day it's like, I got away with it again. You know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was a long time. It was a few years before I really settled into the idea um, to be comfortable, you know, on stage with the bass and feel like I could handle situations, uh, you know, like mistakes or whatever that came along. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, there were a few, there were a few hairy moments, let's say in the first, in the first couple of years. For me personally, what was one that stuck out then? Well, let, let's do both the uh, both a highlight and a low light of, of kind of okay. that period. All right, um, 
Summer 2004, we are appearing on the stage at Glastonbury, uh, <laughs> biggest festival in the UK, maybe biggest festival <laughs> in the world. Um, and um, so this has been on the calendar for six months. It's a fe- festival I've been aware of since I was a teenager. It's a huge cultural uh, thing in the UK. Yeah, so obviously I was nervous about that. Getting cl- closer and closer and closer. I get a, uh, the, the week before, I get a new base, a second-hand new, a new, new to me base in Sweden. Uh, and um, so playing, holding, it's Rickenbacker 4001, playing it. And Top of the Pops are going to be filming Take Me Out to broadcast live while we're playing it. There's a helicopter that they've brought to, to, to the sky. But we all know it's coming in the set. So I'm, I'm already on, you know, I'm pretty on edge because I'm playing Glastonbury. And then as Take Me Out's coming closer and it's set, okay, now it's Take Me Out. And we, we go, the, the helicopter's there, all the cameramen have come on stage and we get to the stabs and there's no noise coming out of my base. And uh, we have a new tech who started that day. He runs over, he's changing leads, changing tuners, blah, 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 blah. And then he, what the hell is this? Looks at my base, there's a little switch, he switches and he starts playing because it was a pickup change and one of the pickups was broken and I didn't even know it was a pickup switch and uh it was absolutely the one of the low points of it was the, the pressure of being live on television the bbc have like hired a helicopter to film us it's being live on national television it was, it was i was mortified i came on stage i went to the turbulence and i was broke down in tears i was just devastated let's let's take that moment then where you say it's one of the low points when did you feel comfortable and when when could you let those kind of things go then? Um, well, I, I slowly trained myself um, through, I guess I discovered like stoicism kind of like <laughs> by accident uh, about, you know, I get about almost like um, I would get things in perspective. Like, you know, I was like, well, you know, I'm, yeah. Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius, yeah. I, subsequently, I went, I went to read the Stoics after, but I kind of arrived there sort of independently in many ways. Um I, I kind of developed this way of thinking where I, instead of getting nervous about a show, I would just see I had one thing to do, which was to go on stage and play the bass. And then Alex, had, I think Alex had to go on stage and play his part. Paul had to go on stage and do his bit. Nick had to do his bit. Our sound engineer had to make sure everything was mic'd up and was mixed nicely. A lighting engineer had to make sure that he was doing his little bit. And then, and then, and then I would expand it and say, "Well, people in the crowd, you know, they they've got to they've got to be there and be open to have a good time. So they're they're doing a job." And I just kind of broke it down in my mind that everyone involved in the whole show was just doing their own small thing to make it happen, and I was just another little cog, mm. and that, and that completely disarmed it for me. It was like, okay, I can do that. I'll just do my bit. If everyone else agrees to do what they're going to do, I'll I'll do what I need to do. Um, right. And in, in the years uh, after that, in, in the more towards the third and second, uh, third and fourth album, Alex, you mentioned that the, well, the, the core has always been just have a, have, a fu- have a bit of fun. But did the success add some, some expectations for you? Or did that add a certain pressure from a songwriting standpoint, from a creative standpoint? Relating uh, to the success? Um knowing that you had an audience not not really no like i, I mean I, i know that things would have like i would always write songs it was more like 
you'd get certain responses from the label. It's kind of like, like you, you'd show uh, the label songs and kind of go, which one's the single? And you kind of get like, you think like, well, I wasn't really, I've never really sat down to write a single. I always just sit down to write songs. And so things like that. But that was right from the beginning, I guess, not particularly for those albums uh, that I found odd. Um, no, when it, when it comes to writing, I've always tried to uh, dissociate myself from the audience. Uh, or like, you know, it's like you, you've, uh, maybe when it comes to performance and even arranging, like that might come into your mind a little bit more. But when it comes to actual writing, it's got to be a bit purer than that. If you think about who you're writing for when you're writing, um, you're gonna fuck up. <laughs> you know, it's gonna. It's, it's uh, you're gonna try try to pander to them. You're gonna try to please people, and there's nothing less pleasing than somebody trying to please you. Sure. In that sense, then, did you, was it more of an uh, attempt to impress, for instance, Bob and the rest of the guys in the studio? Was it more of a, a thing like that, or was it purely inward? Uh, no, I, I don't think I've ever tried to impress Bob or the other guys in the band with the, with the songwriting. Um, um, mm, I, I know for me, like, like there's always been a a personal thing that I've always feel that there should be something new in the songs. Like even if it's like some trick with a melody or a, a chord progression or something that I've not done before, like, like it, it, as long as those kind of things are happening, I feel there's something moving on. That's when I'm satisfied. If I feel that it's just repetition, then uh, I can't really do it. I, I've, I've got to feel there's, there's something new about it uh, or that I'm exploring areas that I haven't done before. Um, uh, also, like it's just got to be good songs, you know. That that that, that simple. Um, uh, if it, if it's not good songs, no point doing it, really. For for the both of you, then, because you had to compile this uh, hits to the head record, uh, kind of an overview with with uh, the greatest hits of of your career. What makes a good song, then? Uh, you think? Um, I mean, you could give lots and lots of reasons. Uh, and you could analyze them and talk about um, uh, harmonic relationship and rhythmic elements and all that sort of stuff. But essentially, you just know when you hear one. It's that simple. If you, if it's a good song, you know it when you hear it. You know, like, if I stick on any record for you just now, like, you'll know if it's a good song or not. You don't need to explain why. You just know. You know, like like... I can play, and, and that goes for any genre, you know, like like uh, uh, if I play you Jolene by Dolly Parton, you know it's a good song, you know. Uh, if, if I if I play, I don't know, like like some, if I play Cubic by 808 State, you know it's a good song, you know, like uh, I, anything is a good song, you just know instinctively. Was it difficult to compile uh, this album? Were there um, kind of things that you have to discuss amongst each other? I mean, the majority of it was very straightforward. There, there were a couple of, like, like around the fringes, there were a couple of uh, things that took a bit of discussion, like, I guess, like, singles that we missed off, like things like uh, Eleanor Put Your Boots On and uh, Bullet. Well, what else is not on, Bob? Oh, yeah, it's Fresh Strawberries. Strawberries, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah and Feel the Love Go as well, like whether we put them on, on or not. 
Uh, yeah, uh, or including Outsiders. You know, Outsiders isn't was never a single, but felt felt like a big song. So, um, but no, not really. It was pretty obvious which ones. You know, you like I said, you know which ones are the good ones that really belong here. You know, and I've I've heard you say in other interviews that that you. There's a lot of people who don't like those uh, compilation records or greatest hits records, but you you really enjoy them because they they provide a kind of uh, an introduction to certain artists. So so for the both of you, can you can you both each name one kind of compilation album or greatest hit album that that had a lot of impact early on or or even uh, now? Is real music dying? What even is real music, and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician, and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird, and the deep questions, and we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer, or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in, and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I mean, uh, the Blue Album, I guess, uh, the Beatles Blue Album, um, I absolutely hammered that to death when I was about 13, 14. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that, that's the sort of, yeah, that's that's the best of for me. And then, well, well it's, it's always weird with the Beatles, but, but why the Beatles? I, I think, part, well, part, well, partly because all the songs are fantastic. They were, they were, it was, this was the mid nineties and they were enjoying this kind of like resurgence. It was around the time that the anthology coming out and all that kind of stuff. So it was definitely in the zeitgeist of the nation, but I, I it's, it, and, and also they were a band that I've been listening to all my life. My parents had their albums, so they've been playing them, you know, since I was a kid, but then, but they didn't have the blue album. I bought that myself. They only had Revolver and um, some of the early soul maybe and some early singles So I had, I had a lot of the songs, I, they weren't that familiar to me. So I felt like I'd found them myself, you know, I was like 13 or whatever. And so it was kind of like, and I, I just loved them. And I was, and that's, that's when I started. I was also reading a lot about the Beatles at that point, like uh, with the Hunter, Hunter Davies biography and various kind of like biographies of them all. And was just really getting, buying into the Beatles lore, you know? And yeah, it was, it was great. I loved it. And for you, Alex? I mean, I, I'm very tempted to say the Red album by the Beatles, um, uh, uh, like the other end of their career. Um, my parents always had that when I was a kid, and, and maybe that represents what I love about uh, a good compilation album as well, because uh, that was enough for my parents. That's all they needed was just those those songs. They didn't need to go deep into a, a collection. But also, like for me, it was like it was always there when I was a kid. You know, it's 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 like it was. It's like it's as constant as certain items of furniture which my parents still have. It's as constant as my parents' faces, and um, uh, I just remember jumping up and down and really, really enjoying those songs. And it's funny, I I, I still use the reaction of toddlers uh, with my own music to know if I've got a banger or not. You know, like uh, um, my my uh, I, I recently I played. 
um, Billy Goodbye to my, my brother's kids and they were jumping up and down to it. So I knew it was a good song, you know, like, and uh, in the same way that the Red Album by the Beatles did it to me, you know, uh, how good is that? In that sense then, because uh, let's say somebody, a listener that never heard of Franz Ferdinand and they, they purchased this album. What do, do you hope they take away? And this can be open to both. I mean, there are so many things that you can take away from a piece of music and, and, and certainly from our music as well. And I, I don't want to dictate like how far, whether they want to go to the depth of the lyrics or the songwriting or whatever. The, the only thing I really want to take away is that their life is somehow richer from having the music in it. That, that, that's it's as simple as that. Mm. Is it, let's let's uh, I'll ask it a little bit differently, and I'll start with you, Bob. Is there one song uh, that ended up on the album that has a particularly special meaning to you, or one one that we can kind of lift out and, and analyze a little bit? Well, if, if well, you're asking if you ask me about favorite songs, is I mean, is that the same question? Um, it, it can be. I think, it can be. I think that um, maybe "Stand on the Horizon" is a song that I really enjoy playing live still uh i i like you know it it's it's for me it represents like uh my favorite side of the band um which is I really sorry like, sorry you say favorite side of the band uh which yeah, is I, i think i think yeah we, we, it's like it's, it's it's leaning more towards uh the dancier side the funkier side Rather than the rockier side, I think I think we, we these are the two the two things we we flip we go between, um, and uh, Sun on the Horizon has that for me the the, the Todd Terrier outro section married with uh, you know uh, the sort of the del delicacy of the lyrics um, the the groove, um, yeah, sure. And Alex, for you, is there is there one that stands out? I mean, you, you were asking like about songs that had a particular significance or a good association with them. Uh, I, I think for me, the, the, the one like that, and particularly because this is a sort of retrospective moment, would be Dark of the Matinee. Um, uh, I just remember writing it and like coming up with the idea for the lyric with Bob. Uh, and I remember where we were in our lives at that particular time. In fact, Bob, was that, was that before we started playing with... Uh, Nick and Paul, I think it, it might could have been. been, could have been, yeah, yeah, it, it, it might have been. Like, I'll have to check the emails and stuff on the time, but uh, yeah, it was a nice idea because, like, uh, it, it was an idea of not knowing what the future was, but um, uh, quite looking forward to discovering it. Uh, and that's that's what I think of when uh, I hear that song, okay. Now, finally, I, I would like to talk about um. Well, in, in a previous interview with you, Alex, you mentioned that the departure of Nick, you kind of, you guys kind of saw coming. Now, is that the same? Because the description for Paul was that you were actually quite shocked. So, so what was the difference in 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 uh, in Paul leaving in in terms of of Nick leaving? Yeah, I I wasn't expecting it from Paul at all. You know, like uh, I'd been sending Paul songs and like the demos and the, and the demos of the songs that we recorded and stuff like and he was reacting positively to them and kind of go oh yeah i can't wait to record and then i don't know i just i i guess something clicked in him and it was a very sudden i think on 
his part, it was quite sudden as well, the sort of like deciding to leave. Um, so it was a shock. <laughs> it was definitely a shock. But also, it was a very good-natured move as well. You know, like uh, um, Audrey came into the studio and uh, Paul showed how her, her how to play um, the parts for the older songs and that sort of thing for when we play live. And I, I don't know, it, it all felt very positive and you know we all still see each other uh, so it doesn't feel negative but it was definitely a shock what what did you hear in audrey audrey's drumming that that appealed to you and then, then finally made you decide uh, to to go for her to join the band um you know uh, she's one of those drummers who just makes you want to dance which is quite important for us you know like the the groove is really good um uh Yeah, she's just a great, very versatile, very responsive, really smart. Um, uh, again, it's it's like when, when we were talking about songs, like what makes a good song, you just know. Mm. And like, it's the same with like a good drummer as well, or any good musician. It's just like, you just know if it's going to work in the band. And, you know, we, we literally played about five bars and I just knew, oh yeah, this is cool. This is good. She's going to be great. And You mentioned that uh, for Paul, the departure was uh, for himself somewhat sudden. For the both of you then, and having been in this uh, musical industry for music industry for uh, 20 years plus now, uh, what what is the draw? What keeps being the draw then? Because I've, I talk to a lot of musicians and it's, it's, it's a difficult uh, industry to, to be in, especially for a long time. And, and the way you guys have been together very amicably amicably over 20 years, uh, that's very rare, I would say. So so what keeps that going? For me, um, it's all it's always about songs, I think. Like we, we When we finish an album and we tour it for, you know, two years, say, and it, we, we never, when we finish a tour, you know, it's a, you know, we never say, okay, see you in two months and, you know, I'll see you in two weeks and we'll start over the record. It's always a little bit of limbo. It's always like, mm, what are we going to do now? And then invariably, after a period of time, Alex will send some demos through and there'll be a song, a song there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to be a part of, uh, I want to be a part of making that song. And that's, that's, all, that's, that's how I always get hooked into, into it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I, I feel very similar as well. I feel, for me, there's two sides that, that make you want to continue, which is probably what made me want to start doing it in the first place. Um, the first thing is that I feel that I haven't uh, expressed everything yet. I haven't created everything yet. There's, there's still more to make. Um, and there's still more to make for us as a band together. It's, it's not... You, you know when something's finished and when it's not finished, and this is definitely... Uh, yeah... And when it does feel like that, then it's sent me over, but it definitely doesn't at the moment. The other thing as well is playing live is really addictive, you know, um, uh, even on a, a basic pharmacological level. <laughs> the um, the, the uh, chemicals that are in, released into your body when you perform live are uh, extremely addictive. And I think that's why a lot of musicians keep on going as well. You know, like uh, you're hooked, literally. <laughs> One last question, then uh, you mentioned kind of uh, the first ideas that, that will start up a whole new process. Um, 
there are two new songs on the uh, Hits to the Head record as well, Curious and Billy Goodbye. Are those then the starting points or the jump off point for, for what comes next? What, what, what type of music comes next? I, I mean, I guess they're vaguely indicative of what we were doing. Like, like um, we've recorded, oh, I don't know how many, like, like a, I think 10 songs or something. And like, we chose those two to go on this record. Um, uh, not necessarily because we thought they were the best, but they were the ones that felt most appropriate in the context of that album. And particularly at that point on the album as well. Like, uh, um, some of the stuff's quite different. Um, uh, it's interesting though. Like I can definitely see the uh, the character and the nature of this new form of the band really taking. And uh, particularly now, listening to Audrey playing drums and Dino being on the on the record as well. It's a it's a uh, it's a strong new flavor, and uh, I really like it. It makes me excited. It makes me want to get back in the studio now, if I'm honest, and and, and finish it off. Does this feel like a new chapter then? Because, uh, well, there have been some lineup changes and you have now this kind of uh, greatest hits album coming out. Is, is this kind of like a, a moment where you can you, you can bookend something and, and start a new chapter? I mean, a, a, every album feels like a new chapter. Okay. Um, uh, and I think with this, it feels more like, I don't know, if it was a play, it would be end of scene one. Or if it was a longer book, it would be end of book one, you know, like a, a, a larger novel rather. Um, so like, yeah, it's, it's definitely the end of a, a period of the band and we're about to start uh, the next wider period, both the next chapter and the next uh, book. Fair enough. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Oh, no, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, all right. Thanks, and yeah, well, all the best. And I hope you get to feed that addiction very, very soon then playing live. Hey, me too. Me too. <laughs> right there. I'm needing. <laughs> all right. Have a great, uh, great day.